And so last yesterday we finished up to chapter three, and and so if we split up Hosea into two large sections, okay, chapter one through three is one section, then four until chapter fourteen is the next section. Uh, it's because this is, but then we can also divide this section further into two times because one part is prophesied during the latter half of Jeroboam the second's reign, and then uh, the the later is also talking about the fall of Israel, and so continually he's continu proclaiming judgment against idolatry, but uh, now right now. It, this idolatry is also characterized with the with the priests and so and so instead of following after god what happened was that they were started following after the trends of the strong nations of the powerful nations and that's why this judgment is proclaimed and so either way uh, when it comes to israel uh, they lost the purity of David's faith. Israel was supposed to follow after God alone. And so what we can understand from this is that ultimately as children of God, all we have to do is follow after God alone. Look towards God alone. The problem is when we lose that purity. And so if, as long as we're looking towards God, whether we have or not, whether we can or cannot, whether we are or are not, does not matter. As long as Israel lives by God, they don't live by what they have. And so what they have doesn't matter. And this is the faith that we need to have, the firm faith that we have, need to have, that I'm walking with God. Then if so, if I'm walking with God, then everything is the case. It doesn't matter what I have. It doesn't, I don't need to try to possess anything. And so, but because Israel lost the purity of their faith, they started to uh, mix with the world. And then so anyways... Starting in chapter 4, until chapter 5, verse 7 is actually one section. So chapter 4 to 5, verse 7 is actually one section. But because it's so long, I divided it up. And so again, we're seeing kind of like this courtroom atmosphere where, where uh, God is bringing his accusation. He is bringing his accusation. And then so first is regarding the accusation of abundance, and then from verse 15 is uh, judgment against uh, the, uh, I think, adultery, yeah, the adultery. Oh, I can't hear very well today. Um, one moment. And so these are uh, judgments proclaimed against the priests. And so pastors, you know, this word is for you, especially today, that this is something that we need to repent of. And so anyways, let's begin by the first section, chapter, one, or chapter 4, verse 1 through 3. Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel. So again, Shema Israel. Israel... If I am Israel, then above all else, I need to hear the words of God. If I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, in other words, it means that I'm continually hearing the words of God. If I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, it's someone who's filled with the Word of God. 
And as new covenant beings, spiritually speaking, it means that the word is continually circulating within me. This blood is continually moving inside of me. The Holy Spirit is leading me, reigning over me. And so when he says, Shema Israel, Israel, listen, this is the same thing. That's what he's saying. Is he's being, being filled with the Holy Spirit. That the power of the blood is purifying you, is cleaning you. And so Israel should have listened to the voice of, of God, to the word of God. And so it's the same thing to you as pastors. And also how you can continually confirm your calling, how you can continually confirm who, who uh, your church's calling is and who they are is by making sure that they're hearing the word of God. And so it's all about hearing the word of God. If they are not hearing the word of God, then I'm continually waiting for them to either leave or to repent and turn. If, if, they're, if they're center, if they are not centered on the word, then they will leave. It's, it's, not, it's not if they will, they will leave. It's when they will. And so whatever it may be, the saint, the church member, if they are not listening to the word of God through me, then that means that the way of grace, the, the vessel of grace is cut off to them. And so I wait for them. Now, of course, I pray for them, pray for them that they would repent and return. But I'm ultimately just waiting, waiting to see what's going to happen. When are they going to leave? Because honestly, it's not like I can excommunicate them because they're not committing some kind of sin. But at the same time, they're not receiving the word. And so, hearing the word of God, whether it's Israel or the church, it is the basic. And so, if I'm the child of God, if I am Israel, then this is the most sensitive of topics. This is something that must be there. And so, Israel are, are the ones who hear the word of God. And so, where does this verse actually start? It, it, it ends in chapter 12. Uh, it ends in chapter 12, verse 11. Okay, um, I, I didn't hear exactly where he said, but, but where, where you'll see it says, here ends the word of the Lord. And so, so who is Israel? Israel is the one who can manifest the word of God. And so it's not about manifesting myself, it's not manifesting my things, but through me is the word of God being made manifest, is the word of God being revealed. And so of course, from Israel's perspective, this word is the promise of God to them. And as long as I hold that onto that, then what will be made manifest inside of me is the fact that his promise is, is revealing who I am. And who am I? I am the um, no, noble son, the, the, the son of the king. And so, and so as Paul says in his epistles, that, that Christ would be glorified in me. No matter how often I come back to this verse, I'm so amazed, so amazed that Christ would be glorified in me. And so, of course, I'm going to be in love with Apostle Paul. Do, do you not love Apostle Paul? Aren't you amazed at Apostle Paul? And so when we go up to heaven, of course, we're going to bow down before God in humility. The second, the second person maybe wouldn't not be Paul. Would it not be Apostle Paul? Now, of course, Hosea is great as well. But, but I think Paul is the one who, who, who we owe a lot to, right? How about, how about you? Who should you meet after God? Who are you going to meet after God? 
Orang nak tak tarukan gua. Orang nak, jumat, ira ni jumat gua bincang ya. Ingat jujur ni jadi, sekarang ini, sekarang ini kita karam. For the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. Who are these inhabitants? So he's speaking of the people, he could be speaking of the Canaanites who are there, right? Right? Those who are in Canaan. So already they lost their identity as children of God. You know, he continues to say, you are my bride and you need to return, return, return. And he's been continuing saying, repent. But now that they've gone past that line, he no longer even calls them the children. But what does he say? And as long as God is calling us his people, as long as he is calling us his children, then that means he has hope for us. But look here, they've already gone past that danger point. Now, of course, at the same time, there's another meaning behind when he says controversy with the inhabitants of the land. Because once again, you know, the Canaanites who were there before the Israelites were not kicked out because they were weak, right? Right? Because look, when the Israelites first conquered uh, Canaan, they didn't have any strong weapons. The first time that they, they got a sword was during the time of, during the reign of King Saul. And so technology, t- technologically, they did not compare to the Canaanites, who were a Bronze Age people. And yet, God uh, gave the Canaanites over to their hand. Why? Because God was reclaiming that land, was reclaiming that land. And so when he says, has controversy with the inhabitants of the land, he's saying just as the Canaanites were taken out away, were destroyed because of their pollution, God has a controversy with them for their pollution. And that the holy people, the holy people will take hold of the land. And who is going to reign this over this world? It is the holy priestly kings, right? That's the faith we need to have. That's the assurance we need to have. And so we continue. For the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. So now he's beginning his argument. He's beginning his accusation. He's beginning his claim. And he's going to proclaim his judgment. And especially if you look at this spiritually. As long as we are in Jesus and his power of the blood is moving inside of us, there is no time a trial is, is, is brought against us. And so if I feel spiritual shame, if I feel this guilt, then what you need to understand is that you are feeling you are under trial. That means that the enemy has brought accusation against you. But is that possible? Can the enemy accuse you for anything? No, they cannot. And so if you feel guilt, that means that you spiritually, there's something lost, suffering within you. And so you need to pray. Pray until that that righteousness, that, that confirmation of righteousness rises up once again back inside of you. And so if you feel guilt... And as I said yesterday, you know, it's like the car where the wheels are just turning out and they're just burning out because, because there's no traction. There's power, but no traction. So all you're doing is wasting that power. 
And so through Jesus, through the blood that he spilt, all trial has been dealt with. And so there is no trial against you anymore. So all you, as long as you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you are in the Holy. Actually, even if you are not, ultimately, as long as you have the fact that you are a child of God, then there is no trial over you. It's already finished. It's over. That the Holy Spirit and, and Jesus wit tes testify that I am righteous. And so who dares stand against those witnesses? Who dares challenge those two witnesses? And so do not lose sight of this. Throughout your life, do not lose sight of this. Do not lose sight of the fact that there is no trial over me. Okay, this needs to be your bottom, bottom line. No matter how far you fall, this has to be your bottom line. That there is no trial, that there is no guilt over me. That you cannot accuse me. You cannot uh, yeah, accuse me. But truly, this, this base needs to be firm. This base needs to be strong. If this falls down, and really, spiritually, you're going to be sapped of so much strength. The old self is going to move, move. No matter how much they may try to shake you, this is the base that you need to have, the bottom line. You understand? So let's continue. And so he accuses them. And why? There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. And so he's giving you these three topics right here. So faith, there's no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God. And he doesn't call them Israel, but he says in the land. Why? Because Israel is corrupted and so the land itself becomes corrupted. And so it's the same thing in history. If we are holy, then this land will be pure. If we are filthy, then no matter what the land may try to do, it cannot be clean. And so for the land to become more righteous, it's not about imprisoning prisoners, but it's about the church becoming holy. Amen? And so, we're and so God right now is continually waiting for His time. He's waiting for the children of God to grow. And we, into our hands, is given the ages. This age has been given to our hands. And so because Israel is corrupted, the land is corrupted. And the list of that corruption is there's no faithfulness. There's no faithfulness. There's, that means that the law, the, the law has disappeared from the land, from Israel. And what does that mean? That means instead of loving their husband God, they were loving a different God. And then it says there's no steadfast love. There's no hesed. There's no grace. Remember, Israel is supposed to live by what God gives, but they live by what they have, what they make. And so they lose that inspiration. They lose that hope. They lose that joy. And so ultimately, because they have to live by their strength, what happens? They are brought to shame. And so in the same thing in, in, in the New Testament, right? In Jesus, before Jesus, and, and, and following Jesus. As long as we live before God, because we live by what He gives, 
no matter no matter how dry, how parched the land may be, if we have the promise that it's going to rain tomorrow, then we can live boldly, right? That's 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 how we live. We live by that confidence that God gives and God will give. That is the nobility of Israel. It's the nobility of the children of God. As long as we have the promise of God. Amen. So we live by the grace of God. We live by what He gives. We continually live by what He gives. So as I said earlier, everything that's important, He's given into us. He has given to indwell inside of us. The Holy Spirit dwells inside of us. The Word dwells inside of us. The blood dwells inside of us. And so even look at spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts, of course, comes through the anointing. And so that may, you may think that that's presence. But even that, that's the spirit inside of me moving inside, right? And so, so that's actually the misconception of, of, of um, charismatics, is that they consider spiritual gifts as something that's theirs by, 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 by the presence of God. No, it's, it's, it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit reacts, responds, and reveals the spiritual gifts. It's about the indwelling spirit, not the presence. Okay? It's all about the indwelling, not the imminent, not the present. Amen? And then, so, the, so steadfast. And then, the second, the third thing is no knowledge of God. So this, this word is dat in Hebrew, which comes from the, the verbal stem of yada, which means to know. So again, no knowledge of God. So there's no truth, there's no grace. And of course there's no relationship with God. And because they have no relationship with God, right? Israel ultimately is supposed to know God, is to know God. And that's their only goal. Is to see the greatness of God, to experience more and more of God, the amazing wonder of God, is to know God. That's what Israel's life is for, right? Israel, all they have to do after being born is to know God, is to know more and more of God, to receive Him and to receive His things. That's everything to Israel and to the children of God. And that's His purpose for creating us, right? Is to come to know Him and to know Him and to grow in Him. And that's why, and so that we can grow to be a partner of love. That is God's purpose for creating us. He created us not so that we can do something, not so that we can achieve something, not so that we can uh, have something. No, He created us to love to have this loving relationship. And so, but they lack this knowledge of God, and so that means they have turned their backs on their reason for being, on their purpose. And so as time goes on, and you are filled with the Holy Spirit, and you're being made perfect, that, what does that mean in other words? It means that you are knowing God deeper and deeper. You are knowing His heart deeper and deeper. You are knowing His will deeper and deeper. And you be, grow into a person who can experience all of God in your being. And so where is this word uh, culminating in? It's culminated in Amos 3. Or, or not Amos. Um, Malachi? Malachi, where, where God does not move without first revealing His secrets to His prophets. Uh, it's Amos, Amos. 
And so, uh, you know, and as he said to Abraham, it's not right for me to hide things from my friend Abraham, right? And so, as much as there is no secrets between friends, are you called to be a friend? No, you're called even deeper than that. Intimate relationship as a bride, right? And so this knowledge of God, this knowledge of God, and yet they lacked it. And why? Because instead of looking towards their one husband, they kept looking towards the world. And so, of course, they lose sight of God. And so it's not a difficult matter. No, knowledge of God doesn't come out of your efforts. All you have to do is just make sure that you are focused on God. That you are centered on God, but because you are centered in the world, because you are centered outside, that's why you lose the knowledge of God. That's why you lack knowledge of God. As long as you fix your eyes on Jesus Christ, then He gives you his, the glory that radiates from His face, gives you His knowledge. It's not about your efforts. It's not about your works. You're simply unable to fix yourself to God. You're f f simply failing to direct yourself to God. You're and so pastors, pastors, can't you look to your wives, right? You can look at your wives, right? At, at their beauty. So all you have to do is look at her. Look at her. But it's because you keep looking at other things. You look at your church members. You look at your, your situation. You look at other things. All you have to do is look at your wife. Let's say that your wife and went to the salon and, and got a perm and, and it takes you a week to realize that something changed about her, that's wrong, right? You gotta be, you gotta be sensitive to, to her changes. So pastors, you're, you need to really make your wives happy. That, that's really important. I remember one time one pastor said this, that 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 he that he, that he would massage his wife's feet every night, but then she but when I talked to her she was not happy because she wanted her back to be massaged but he kept touching his feet, <laughs> and so what does this mean? This means you got to be attuned to your wife, okay? And so really, if your church if you want your church to be happy, your first your wife needs to be happy. And wives, please have mercy on your husband, okay? And so there's no knowledge of God. And then in verse 2, there's because there's none of these things, there's swearing and all these, all these sins, right, are listed out. And so they're, they're swearing, and what does swearing using the Lord of using the name of the Lord to to try to trick people? So, because we should be looking to God, who is the light, and because they're not receiving that light, there's darkness, and so of course there's going to be all these sins. If you live by the world, it's obvious that it becomes darkness, because God is light, and so unless you are looking at the light, you you will be filled with darkness. And we need to bear fruit of that light, but, but rather we are bearing fruit of darkness, right? Which is swearing, lying. What is lying? Lying is, is deceiving your neighbor, right? What else? Murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bounds and bloodshed follows bloodshed. 
And because they do not live by God, they cannot love their neighbors next to them. And that becomes, that's the principle of things. It's obvious. And so break all bounds and bloodshed follows bloodshed. This is talking about the end times where there's going to be so much blood being spilled. And that's what's going on in northern Israel. All these sins uh, are so obvious. So verse 3, Therefore, the land mourns. The land mourns. And really, whenever you go to places with lots of blood being spilled, that land really mourns. When I was in Israel, really, the, all this blood that was spilled on that land, I, I could feel the... the, the, the the accusation, I could feel the outcry of that, of that aggrieved land. It felt as if the land was reaching out to grab my ankles. So as I was walking around, I kept sprinkling the blood of Jesus Christ over the land to redeem it. And, and it's obvious that when blood is spilt, the land is polluted. And uh, in this New Testament, uh, the, the world is, is groaning and in earnest yearning for the sons of God to be revealed. But when these sons of God are corrupted, they, they, they pollute the land. And how much more would that torture the land? And so because Israel is corrupted, all creation loses hope. When God created Adam, that's how he created the order. He created the order of everything to follow after man. And so even now, all these natural disasters, all of, all of, all of um, this natural phenomenon that is, that is being caused, it's all because of the sin of man. The sin of man is causing all of these things. And, and so from many perspectives, Israel and the children of God is really important. But just when you know and understand that this creation is, is under the reign of, uh, of, uh, of Israel and the children of God, then how much more important would it be for, for them to be pure? And so it says uh, also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and even the fish of the sea are taken away. And so all of these things are moved by the glory that the church has. The church has the authority over personnel, material, uh, spiritual, and even natural things. And so the church, it's not the church is not supposed to do something for this world, but rather as I continually say that what is the church supposed to do is to know God and to be centered on God and then everything will move according to the will of God and this creation moves around the church and so as long as the church is holy that is all that's important it's not what the church does the church doesn't need to do anything they just need to be sanctified purified fixing their eyes upon God and and maintaining the pure faith and being holy that's everything that's everything to your pastoral ministry it is not an understatement to say that this is everything. Your goal is not to bring success to your church members. Your goal is not to bring them happiness. No, your goal is to purify the church, to sanctify the church. That is your only goal. 
And so this accusation was declared in verses 1 through 3, and now he accuses the priests in chapters in verses 4 to 6. And as a pastor, regarding these kinds of sections and the book of Malachi, honestly, when I see these things, uh, what I realize is that I, if I'm a pa uh, the pastor's place is a place of, uh, of great uh, burden, a place of, uh, of curse. And so right now what Israel is doing is they're gathering uh, the descendants of the Kohen, of the priesthood, and in order to teach them the uh, ways of, uh, to sacrifice to God. And that's what Israel knows. Israel knows that, that, that the importance of the Kohen, that as long as the priests serve God well, Israel will be filled with with happiness. Okay, it's the same thing with the church. As long as pastor is committed and and has a right relationship with God and serves God well, then the then the blessing will flow through the church. And just as uh, the priests brought this curse, pastors in this day and age are bringing the curse to the people. This is something that is no exception. It's not the church member's fault. It's the pastor's fault. And it's through these priests, these pastors who are not worthy that, that, that the word is being proclaimed in this day and age, that, that, that the church is suffering so. And so as I always say, I consider it the most utmost importance that God, that it, the servants who God has called. It's not because I volunteered. It's not because I wanted to. It's not out of my ambition or out of my circumstances that I became a pastor. But did God call me? Did God call me? If that's the case, then, then, then that's what's most important to me when it comes to being a pastor. It's not about my effort. It's not about my desire. And so just because you are a professor, you're going to be a pastor? No, that's not the case. So professors, what do you say? What do you say? So who are the priests? They are the ones who are responsible for the holiness of Israel. And so of course they are human beings just like you and me, but they are spread apart. And so Zoe Ministry, when it comes to you, I always believe that, that you are, are servants called by God. And as long as I believe in that, that's why I pour everything upon you. And so, and so this is something that you all uh, need to have faith regarding that, that your calling. And so pastors, of course, you are members of the same body, but you are set apart, right? And look at the Bible in, in the eschatology, right? What's most important is, is that you are looked at differently, even though 
even though you are the same beings right now, you are set apart. And so when the millennial kingdom comes, even then you will be set apart. And that's who you are. You have been sanctified to God. And that's what you need to have faith in. And this isn't my words, it's the Bible says so. And so from this perspective, with this burden on our shoulders, and in serving God, of course we need to take responsibility. Why? Honestly, uh, so we need to take responsibility for being holy. Why? Because honestly, as lay members, it might be more difficult for them because they have to go out into the world. But you, as priests, you have been set apart. And so all you have to do is be in the church. And so to you, the circumstances and the conditions are more favorable for you to be holy. And so from that perspective, in that sense, it, it's, it's better, it's easier for you to be holy. And so this is also why I stress that as pastors, you should not have a second job. Because no matter how much I look at the Bible, wherever I see, there is no priest that has to go out to work. Many pastors think it's so obvious that you should have two jobs, one being a pastor and one in, out in the world. But honestly, if you need to have two jobs to be a pastor, then I don't think you should be a pastor. God doesn't want you to, God's not going to call you to be a priest and, and make you suffer that you have to do two jobs. Two, three jobs, four jobs. Does that make sense? Am I, am I, am I judging wrongly here? But look, look at the requirements of priests throughout the Bible. Honestly, even in serving God alone, we don't have enough time, you know, and yet you can go out and get another job. Then when are you going to pray? When are you going to spend time with God? When are you going to, to pray for your church members? Even when it comes to just prayer, I have to spend almost all day in the church. Okay, pastors, do you have a lot of time? So let's continue verse 4. Uh, yet let no one contend and let none accuse, for with you it is my contention, O priests. And so there are many ways to, um, to interpret this. So verse 4, Yet let no one contend and let none accuse. And so, what he's saying is don't accuse the priests. What does this mean? If Israel has sin, then who accuses that sin? And who who contends that's what the priests do that right and yet he's saying to the priests don't do it sorry so that's what he meant okay okay because the priests are the ones who are to point out the sin and to to guide them to holiness right and yet he's saying don't do that what does this mean this is really scary right he's telling them to shut up why 
the reason will be here. He's saying, shut up. No one, let none accuse, let no one contend. None of the priests. And so, look, brothers, when you preach, you are the light, right? And so, one part of being the light is revealing the sins, revealing their worldliness, revealing their, 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 their faults, right? That all the things where as they lived throughout that week, um, the parts of their, their lives that were not centered on God, they need to, they, those things need to be revealed. And yet, God is saying to not do those things. Why? For with you is my contention, O priest. And so again, that's what he's saying. That, that ultimately, priests, you are the same. That, that the, the priests and the people are the same. And so, so he's turning the priests first upside down. Okay, and so when you preach, the reason why we preach in fear and trembling is because it can't be my will, my purpose. It needs to be God's will. And so uh, we can see many texts that talk about this, but especially in Malachi, right? Malachi, where, where the priests of God needs to be pure. And so, because what does God say there? He says that when you open your lips, my lips open. And this is actually a very scary thing, that, that my words, in my words, are the words of God. In my mouth are the words of God. And so, priests, this is really something that you need to see, that you are set apart. You have been set apart for God's holiness. And so, not just anyone preaches. God acknowledges you and entrusts you with it and gives you this stewardship. Now, of course, in that, as you're growing, as you're being raised, there is this time of training that is necessary as a young pastor. But once you get to that point where you are a head pastor, it's important that you are that standard for that truth and that authority and that power needs to be made manifest inside of you. And so as Paul says in 2 Thessalonians, that, that I have been approved by God, dokimatsu, right in front of God, approved by God, that the truth has been entrusted to me. And so when it comes to this, whether it's me or you, this is something that we really need to be humble on, and we should not treat this lightly. We should not take this lightly. And yet this has been taken from them. That's what we're seeing here. And so he's saying that priests, the pastors, and the church members, you are the same. And so quit. And look at the churches of Korea these days. How many pastors truly are preaching the gospel? I really want to see. I really want to see. I wonder how many of these pastors God is telling them to shut up. 
Right. Many of these pastors in those big churches back in in Apgujang, they're they're they God is probably telling them to shut up, and yet because they can't hear, they keep preaching. And why? Because they're not preaching out of God's will. They're not preaching out of God's heart. They're preaching according to their will, according to their philosophy, according to their knowledge. And so darkness is not being revealed. And so, you know, like, of course, when that darkness revealed is part of what we need to do, and that's important, but it's not up to us to do it, right? God does it through His revelation. Oh, today is very difficult to preach. Verse 5. It sounds like God is speaking to me. Verse 5. What does He say? You shall stumble by day. The, the prophet also shall stumble with you by night. And so that means that they are spiritually blind. They cannot see where they are going. They're constantly stumbling. And so, uh, where does it say? In Proverbs somewhere. That the eyes must be lit up for the body to be filled with light. And so with the gospel of God and His holy word, as we continue to receive that as my, as my noose is cleansed, that, uh, that then we would be filled with light. But because we keep looking at the light, uh, we cannot be filled with that light and we become blind. And so we need to see the source of light that comes from God. Keep looking to the light of the truth that emanates from God. The revelation must be clear. If this becomes corrupted, then you become, then, then you will eventually get to the point where you are spiritually blind. The prophet also shall stumble with you by night. And, and so the spiritual pillars of Israel were the priest and the prophets. And if the priest falls, then at least the prophet should stand firm. But now look here, what's being prophesied is that not only do the priests stumble, but the prophet stumbles with them. And then look here, it also says with you by night. And remember, what was the hope of Israel, even in times of hardship, of spiritual um, emptiness, their hope was that the prophet was there to proclaim the words of God. But now look, the priest stumbles, the prophet stumbles, there's no one who can turn the hearts of Israel back. And so look, what does it say? that the prophet also shall stumble with you. And so this word with you is important because prophet and priest, when they come together, they should be making a perfect uh, holiness for Israel. And what does that mean? That means the perfect worship is there. But since the priest is corrupted, the prophet is corrupted, then what happens? The worship is corrupted. And so, and I will destroy your mo mother. And what does this symbolize? Why is the mother being destroyed? Because, because uh, the, the ancestry was counted through the mother, right, in, 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 in Israel. And so, so when I will destroy your mother means that I will take your ancestry. I will take your generations from you. 
And not, it's not every case that the priests and prophets were determined by bloodline, but for the most part, uh, prophets and priests came out of a line of their, their, their bloodline. And so their bloodline itself uh, has been called them to be a priest. And so fundamentally, I mean, that's not always the case. There's exceptions. But, but uh, the principle of the Bible is that is that, uh, that, that, that it passes through the bloodline, the priest. There, and so from the family line of priests comes more priests. And so if your father was a pastor, you know, you should also be a pastor for the most part. So let's continue. Verse 6. These are all things that we need to receive with trembling. Uh, because... Because this kind of worship, right, that this reverence, uh, this reverence and burden that we have as called servants of God, as chosen servants of God. That you need to have this clear confirmation that I have been called to purity, to sanctity, that I have been set apart. And so pastors, really, this is really important. And as I always say, I say again to you, pastors, you are very uh, delicate beings. You are not beings to just live however you want. To other people, it may not be a source of contention, but pastors, uh, what you may do is even more delicate, more sensitive. And so, so the standard for your repentance may be greater. Because God's standard for you is greater as someone set apart, as someone chosen. Okay, so verse 6. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. So why does he all of a sudden talk about people now? When the priests fall and the prophets fall, of course it's obvious that the people have no knowledge. And so, of course, the people may be corrupted because of their own choice. But now look here, here, why are they corrupted? Because the priests are corrupted and the prophets are corrupted. And so they can't help but be corrupted because they lack knowledge. Because they're supposed to receive the words from the, uh, from the lips of the priests and the prophets who receive the word from the lips of God. But because they do not receive it, of course they are, they are doomed. And so if Israel was to if Israel was doomed, if Israel was destroyed because of lack of no, money, then God would say, My people are destroyed for lack of money. If it was because you do not have enough certifications, if you do not you do not have enough qualifications, you do not have enough education, then that's what it would say. My people are destroyed for lack of, of certifications. But no, what does it say? It says lack of knowledge of God. And so all we have to do is know God. As long as we have God, we will live. And this applies to everyone, but especially to the priests and the prophets. We need to continually meeting with, meet with God in the Holy of Holies. When you enter into the holy place, what's there? In the left side, there's the candle. On the right side, there's the bread of the presence. And on the, in, in the center is the censer of, 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 of incense, right? And all three of these things, what do they represent? 
they represent something that's inside of me, which is the Holy Spirit, the blood, and the word. And, and the word. Right, the, the incense represents prayer. The bread of the presence represents what? Represents the word of God. And then the, uh, the, the, candle, the, the candlestick represents the fire, which is the Holy Spirit of God. And so in the temple, the, the functions of the temple are within you. And so priests, as priests, what are you to do? Fundamentally, you're to meet with God. And by meeting with God, you receive the word of God. And as you receive the word of God, Israel, the people come to experience God and come to know God. But since the priests are corrupted, it's obvious that the people are lack knowledge. And so they are destroyed. And so priests, priests, through meeting with God and experiencing the word of God, they can bring that word to, to Israel. But since they were not meeting with God, they lacked knowledge. That's why God says to them, shut up. Let no one contend. Let none accuse. And so when the priests are living, it's not out of their survival that they live. No. But what is the purpose for my chosen, for my election? What is the purpose for my life? It is to meet with God and to receive the word of God. And as long as I receive that in faith, then, then as long as I receive that, then the game is over. I'm already victorious. If not, then there's no purpose for my life. There's no meaning in my life. And so, what does that mean? Then, what should I do to come before God? Is that I must be clear in the fact that when my lips open, God's lips are opening. And that I'm receiving words from Him. And so, uh, as long as I receive that, then I understand that my only purpose in life, my only, the only goal that I need to go for is to know God. And so let's continue. Uh, because you have rejected knowledge, rejected uh, could also mean ignored or turned away. So, and knowledge is not just only speaking of experience of God here, but now of Torah, so the Word of God, right? They need to uh, revere the Word of God, but they did not revere the Word of God, and instead they looked down, they, they, they took the Word of God in vain. And so if you are holy, you would ultimately revere the Word of God. You, but if you do not revere the Word of God, if you treat it with disdain, then already you are seeing that your relationship with God is not there. And so your, your, um, and so you lose sight of who God is, and you lose reverence for God. And so when you do not have the word of God, then what happens is that is that inside of you, what did that word do? That word led you into reference, but because you lack that word, you do not have reference or reverence. And so we actually do need to uh, go through Malachi, right? In Malachi chapter two, what does it say? Malachi 2 
Okay, so verse 8, but you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instructions. So as it says in Proverbs 3, right, that the truth and the steadfast love of God is what's going to uh, let us be stand firm, stand stand upright as I look at my life I realize that I don't know how to do anything even though I live for a long time I don't know how to do anything except for preaching and yet my life is okay right I live well Because all I have to do is be responsible for preaching the Word of God, is to receive the Word of God and, and, and sending it forward. And so if we become a priest that is corrupted, that cannot preach the Word of God, then, then our life becomes cursed. And that means you'll be uh, polluted by the world and you'll lose the Word of God. You'll lose the reverence of the Word of God. And because you blaspheme the Word of God, you turn away from the Word of God. You reject the knowledge. And so I will also reject you from being a priest to me. I reject you from being a priest to me. You have been called to the highest nobility. And yet, and, but now this nobility is taken from you because you have rejected knowledge. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, they lost their law, right? They lost the law. And as I said yesterday, because they lose the word of God, they lose God. This is the order of things. If you lose grace, then you cannot experience God. If you lose the word, then of course you cannot meet with God. This is the order of things. This is the principle. And so we always must be immersed in the grace of God. Amen. We always must be under His grace. Amen. And so I will also forget your children. And that, that's again uh, talking about your line being cut off. Your family line being cut. And your children. I'm not going to stress that they have to be pastors. And yet, fundamentally, uh, it's proper for the family line to continue that priesthood because honestly as children what should they grow up looking at as they grow up they should be watching you serve God and so what would they be best at what they would be best at is also serving God in that ministry and honestly when I look at our children uh, they have no hope in the world because they don't know how to do anything But in the church, they can follow after me very well. They are good at doing the ministry that I do. And so all six are naturally are going down that, that path uh, of being pastors, of, of, of ministry, of priesthood. They, you can easily do all of those things, intercede, prophesy, interpret, minister. 
Because that's how God created this line to go. And so naturally, in the line of a priest, more priests are developed. Oh, I know And so if I'm corrupted, then of course the rest of my family will be corrupted. And so that finishes that family line. And so pastor, again, I emphasize that it's about purity, sanctity, continually meeting with God and standing before God and being purified before God. And as long as God's word is not being limited inside of you and as long as it's flowing freely, then hallelujah, God's blessing will flow freely in your family. And so in these end times, uh, as the prophecy of Joel, that, 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 that though there's so much abundance, the word of God touches the ground and rots away because, because there is no pure uh, priest to, to lift the word of God. And so even though there's so much, um, so many sermons out there and available in such abundant manner, and yet the blood of God does not flow through the, the, the altar. And there's so many churches that, that are churches in vain that will be blown away by the wind. Why? Because the truth is not their foundation. The truth is not there. And so life is not there. And so if the priests get taken away, then there's no worship. And if that worship is no longer there, then there's no way to serve God anymore, right? And so fundamentally, pastors, uh, your spiritual warfare is going to be intense because through you, glory is revealed. And so fundamentally, you are the first step. You are the first line, line in this battle, in this warfare. So if we are to survive, then we must be pure and holy every day meeting with God so that we can be purified before God. Amen? Verse 7. The more they increased, the more they sinned against me. And so whether it's northern Israel or southern Judah, they are rich at this time, right? They, both of them are very rich, and so that's what it's talking about. The more they increased, they were getting richer and richer. But in chapter 8, 11, what does it say? It says that uh, Ephraim has multiplied altars for sinning. Because they get richer and richer, they start to have more and more worship, more altars. And if you have more altars, then you would think that they would get holier. But instead of getting holier, these altars are for sinning. And so it multiplies sinning. And so look at Korea. Look at how many churches we have. 50,000 churches all over the nation. 80,000? No, okay, still 50,000, right? I, I, I'm pretty sure it should have shrinked because of coronavirus. But there is 50,000 churches in this country, in this small country. And 
and when we go overseas and when we come back there is this um, refreshing sight that we see because when we come back we see all these crosses right and yet at the same time there's also a burden because these many of these churches are dead and they must be revived Just because we have a cross, just because our sign says church, doesn't mean we are church of God. Amen? And so it is our responsibility to revive these. Amen? And so, more altars are being lifted up, more burnt offerings, and yet instead of becoming holy, they are corrupted. So the more they increase, the more they sinned against me. This may actually be their strategy. Why? Because by increasing sinning, there's more sacrifice, right? <laughs> you understand? So more sins so that they feel more guilty, and because they feel more guilty, they rely on the pastors more. <laughs> and so, uh, from this perspective, it's more comfortable to be syncretic. Why? Because pastor, don't demand holiness. But keep saying, but keep proclaiming blessing, blessing, blessing. And then so then the people are happy. And because they're happy, they support the pastor. And because they support the pastor, the pastor is happy. And so they're both happy, right? Isn't that win-win? Okay, if you offer to God, God will bless you. Isn't that more comfortable? Isn't that a win-win situation? But look, through Malachi, what do we see? Please, will someone shut the doors of the temple? That's, that's God's heart. That's God, how God's heart breaks. How about this day and age? Do you think God is happy that all these churches' doors are open? Churches, they're becoming more and more churches, and yet the land is becoming more and more polluted. Why? Because though these burnt offerings are being lifted up, these burnt offerings are not increasing holiness, but they're increasing sin. That's the strategy of many pastors these days, right? Don't be too holy because then you will not be popular. If you're too holy, if you demand holiness, you will not be popular. Right? You've heard that before, haven't you? You need to be more down to earth. Okay, so let's continue in verse 7. I will change their glory into shame. And so during Jeroboam II's rage, they had all this riches and all this power and authority, but all of that is, being taken, is going to be taken away from them. So that's one perspective of this prophecy. And so everything that we have on our own strength will be taken away from us, right? Look at even Abraham. Abraham, he, what was taken from him? Lot was taken from him. Ishmael was taken from him. Everything that he took of his own hands was taken from him. All the, anything that we take apart from God is never beneficial to us. That's the happiness of Israel. It's when God gives us happiness. But when we take from our own self, uh, with our own strength, it is, it is taken from us. And many times I warn church members like that, that this is dangerous. You are earning money. You're getting richer and richer, but you are not, become, you are not holy. 
then that's dangerous. That's, that's a sign. That's dangerous. And so you need to repent. That's really strange, right? That, that should not be the case if you are a child of God. That you are not holy, but you are getting rich. Your business is successful. And yet your children are withering away. And your wife is withering away. Right? That's dangerous. That's a dangerous sign if you are a child of God. And so in the church, you need to be clear regarding this. Right? It's when God blesses that you should, you should be welcoming that blessing. If the world blesses you, if the devil blesses you, shouldn't you be wary? You should be, right? And so, though they were becoming rich, there will come a time where that riches will be taken from them. Because if anything comes in the way between me and God, all of it will be taken. All of it will be taken. Whether it's money, knowledge, position, status, reputation, it doesn't matter. Another way to interpret this is what is the glory of the priest is to be glorified in worship, right? But that is being turned to shame because the worship is corrupted. And so as a priest, everything should be glorified. But if you are being hardened as a pastor, if you're becoming more secular, more worldly, more compromising, then you should give up that pastoral ministry. Because the result of priesthood should be glory, but that glory is being turned into shame. So what does it say in Malachi chapter 2 verse 3? That these, these appointed feasts are, 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 are not their glory, but their shame. And that's the day and age that we're living in right now. Look at other corrupted churches all over the world. So verse 8, we're almost finished. They feed on the sin of my people. They are greedy for their iniquity. This is funny, right, isn't it? In verse 7, it talks the reason. And so look, they are increasing. The altar is increasing. And, and this burnt offering should have been for them to be sanctified, to be purified. But the priests have no interest in sanctity. They have no interest in holiness. And as I was making fun of verse 7 earlier, it's like they have the strategy of making them sin more so that there's more burnt offering. That's all, they, all they're interested in is the offering. All they're interested in is how much money entered into the church this month. And really, look at the church these days. Who, what is the condition of an elder? It's the one who offers the most, right? All of these images from 2,700 years ago is, is evident again in this day and age in the church. And so it's when the priests are holy that the people will be holy. Amen? And so they feed on the sins of my people and they are greedy for their iniquity. Look, what does this mean, right? Why are they feeding on the sin? The sin is the sin offering, right? And so they feed on the sin offering. And so, so they bring the sin offering and, and, they, and the priests use it for their own gain. 
what was the sin offering was that they, they lifted, they, they came with this mournful heart for their sins and they cried out to God for forgiveness and then they would, pour, and then they would impart that sin, lay their hands on, on the offering and the offering would die on, in their place. And so with that mourning heart, seeing that, that, that burnt offering being burnt and as it burns and as that smoke rises up to God, you see that God receives that and is pleased with that offering. And when you see that, you realize that, ah, my sins have been forgiven. But what does syncretism do? Syncretism says, bring this offering as a bribe, right? God, look at this offering because I sacrificed this. Uh, uh, look over, pass over my sins. And so without this mournful heart, without this regretful heart, you know, just giving this offering as, as if it's payment rather than being in your place. And so what is this? The difference between uh, the offering of Abel and the offering of Cain. What is that? It is the heart, the heart of the worshiper. And so when we worship in spirit and in truth, that worship is one with God. And, and in that worship, God accepts. And look at this day and age. Do, do, can you find that worship in spirit and in truth? And so to these kinds of people, Syncretism is so much more comfortable. It's so much easier, right? And so look, short sermons in itself is not a problem. But honestly, look at the churches these days. They finish their sermons in 17 to 20 minutes. Why do they preach so shortly? Because they want to be popular. Because they don't want people to get tired. And they do not have the holiness to, to receive the truth for more than 20 minutes. And so that's why they preach for a short time. And just, you'll be blessed and then end that sermon right there. I'm not telling you that your preaching needs to be long. But if they're living in darkness and they're living in syncretism, do you think that when they come to worship that they would be able to receive that truth? Do you think that they would be able to receive that light in 17, 20 minutes? Right? It, enough light to be able to determine that I will not live this way again throughout this week? Then of course the worship would, would, would necessarily have to be longer, right? Because they need to receive that light so that they can repent, so that they can turn from their ways. But... Why are the church services so short these days? Because they are not interested in their holiness. They are not interested in their sanctity. Verse 9. And it shall be like people like priests. Look at how scary this word is. That the priests and the people will be the same. And it shall be like people like priests. Right? People and priests, of course, they are the same body, but their calling is different, right? And so it should not be like people, like priests. And that's the clear thing that you need to take, is that as priests of God, as pastors of God, you have a different calling. You have been sanctified. And that is where your nobility, where your honor comes from. You need to have that clear uh, belief. And so that nobility doesn't come from you yourself, but it comes from your calling that God has given you. And so, there must be this clear distinction between, between 
pastor and church members, right? Because there is a different standard of holiness. Pastors, you are not employed by the church. You are called by God. And so that's the problem with this church this day and age, right? What is a pastor? A pastor is an employee of the church. And so, so who has the responsibility? Not God, but the church members. That's why the church members vote and they gather and they have a council for who they're going to appoint as the next head pastor. Right? Do you think that this head pastor should get an extension? Should he get a raise? And so you, so you employ pastors. Is that, is that the church? And yet that's what many churches do, right? You've seen that. Right? Most churches have this vote of confidence for the pastors. And so there must be this clear uh, boundary between calling. And so though we are the same body, but because there is this boundary, the church members will see the calling of the pastor and will have respect for that pastor because there is this clear boundary. And they need to be able to see that boundary. And when they receive that in faith, there will be this respect and honor. For example, look at 1 Timothy chapter 3. It talks about the requirements, the qualifications for overseers and deacons, right? And honestly, there isn't a huge difference between overseers and deacons. But there is one thing. What does it say in verse 2? Therefore, an overseer must be above report, reproach. This is not given to deacons. Blameless. They need to be blameless, above reproach. And so if you want to be an overseer, a pastor of the church, that means you need to be blameless. For example, you're a good preacher, but you're, you get angry every day. You throw fits of rage every day. You preach well, but you don't know how to minister people to loosen them, to deliver them. You need to be open to every channel, right? To, to, to serve the soul. As a pastor, every channel of service, of ministry to the soul needs to be open. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that you need to develop yourself. You need to make yourself that way. No, but God is going to do that in you. And so you yearn for that and look to God and continually grow in holiness. And so look, already you can see that there is a difference in the qualification between between priests and 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 the lay members even though we are one we are one we are the same and yet there is this distinction and so pastors pastors as as stewards for god you need to be blameless So ultimately, you need to be above reproach, no matter what kind of pastoral ministry you have. And so, and so in every aspect. And so, priests to Israel, no matter the situation, they could always be leaders of the nation. Why? Because they received the word of God. 
And so, you need to be blameless and above reproach because you need to be able to lead all kinds of people, whether they be doctors, whether they be lawyers, whether they be uh, businessmen, whether they be beggars. You need to be able to lay all, lead all. And so you, you should not say, oh, because um, I did not learn this aspect, I do not have this education, I'm ignorant regarding this. I'm not talking about study, okay? Because God is inside of you, and you know God, and He is the source of all wisdom. You need to be blameless. I'm not saying you need to be grounded in every single knowledge, piece of knowledge in the world. No, I'm just saying that you need to be blameless, right? And wisdom needs to flow through you. Why? Because God has, uh, as it says in, in Galatians, right, that God has entrusted this gospel to Paul. And so in the same way, this gospel has been entrusted to you. And when he entrusts this gospel to you, he's not just giving you the words of this gospel, but he's giving you himself. Right? Because the truth of God is, is in that truth is God and God gives entrust himself to you. And this is not something that, that lay members are entrusted with. It is what pastors are entrusted with. And so that clear distinction must be there. And then also if you look at Numbers 11, uh, they rebel against Moses. Who? Who, Who rebels against Moses? Aaron and Miriam. And so God calls those two. And he says, he says that to priests and prophets, I have shown visions, I have shown revelations, I have given them dreams. But not so my servant Moses. My servant Mo there is no one as meek as my servant Moses who I speak to face to face. So he says to Miriam and Aaron that, that I give you dreams and visions, but to Moses I see face to face. And so, uh, as pastors, what position are you? You have the same position as Moses, right? Leading the people from the front. And why are you that leader? Because you are meeting with God face to face. And so, and at the end of Moses, what? at the end of that, oh, so it's not 11, chapter, it's chapter 12. What does, what does he say to them? He says that, 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 that ultimately what happens is that the glory is revealed through Moses, right? And so, so that's actually how I pray many times is that the same glory that Moses has seen show to me. And so the calling is completely different. Miriam and Aaron, they are amazing people in themselves. 
And yet, and yet, Moses, right? Moses is seeing God face to face. And there were times that in our people in our church would say like, God said this, and then I would respond, but God didn't say that to me. Why would he say to you before saying to me? Or why would he say to you and not to me? It's not because of my arrogance. No, but because I know my position before God to this church. And so when it comes to this church, God is going to first speak to me. If he speaks to someone else, that means my time is over. If I'm meeting with God and he doesn't speak to me, then why would he say to someone else first? Right? He would say to me, not to the church members. Let's say Pastor Yunjung came up to me and said that God said to me that we should not do this in the church. What would I say? I would either fire him or I would have to quit, right? One, one or the other, right? This, this, this uh, border must be clear. And then now let's look at Acts 20. Paul is getting ready to go to Jerusalem and he meets with the elders at Ephesus. So chapter 20, verse 28. Oh no, verse 8. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered. Sorry, one moment. Not verse 8. Okay, so uh, the pastors must be careful. Uh, even if the church members don't pray every day, pastors, you do. Um, uh, past church members, they may not check themselves every day, but pastors should. I think he's on verse 28 where it says, pay careful attention to yourselves. Why? Because pastors is really important. It's sensitive, right? It's a delicate balance. And so, as pastors, you do not have the same standard as the church members. And then what else does it say? In which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Why? Because who overseers, who establishes the overseers? It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will reveal that you have been established. And so whatever you may do, uh, there are many events where God will confirm that this person is the leader of that community. And so that spiritual authority is different between head pastor and associate pastors. So I always say, associate pastors can preach. They, they preach very well. But there is a reason why sometimes I need to preach. There is a reason why sometimes I need to stand. And this must be clear. It must be distinct. And so if they say that there's no difference between head pastor and associate pastor, now, it's okay if a single person feels that or a few people feel that, but if, if that's the attitude of the church as a whole, 
then that's a problem because God will show, uh, will confirm that the Holy Spirit has made you overseer. And this is what else does it say? To care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Look at how important this word is. Um, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. And God gave us this stewardship, and that stewardship is not, is, is not just a steward over some random child, but a child that has been purchased by the blood, by his own blood. And this blood wasn't just spilled his, his own blood, but it was this blood of his son, which is more precious than his own blood, right? And so to this church, which has been purchased by his blood, what does this mean? This means that God will not hold anything back for that church. Really, there's no explanation needed. You just need to feel this. That, that God has entrusted this church, which He purchased with His own blood, to me? Then how should I respond? You should be able to feel this. What should you feel? That I cannot do it. How can I take this burden that God has purchased with His own blood? And so you have to just give up to God, surrender to God. And so when you receive that calling and receive that clear distinction, then ultimately what will happen is you will give up on yourself, surrender to God, and give everything over to God. Okay, if you go to the Louvre in France, let's say that they entrusted me, the Mona Lisa, then they entrusted the Mona Lisa to, my, to me. And you know, when you go to the Louvre, there's always eight security guards around the Mona Lisa and there are so many protections, right? That when this Mona Lisa moves, uh, if it were to leave its place from the Louvre, uh, the tanks follow with it. But let's imagine that, that, they, that they were to bring the Mona Lisa to my room. Right? I would be holding a sword every day you know, and, and two pistols right? every night, staying alive, staying awake. Would I? No, I can't. I can't protect that Mona Lisa by myself. But what has been entrusted to you? The church purchased by the blood of God. What are you going to do? Even with the Mona Lisa, I could not do anything. But what about you, Pastor Kim? Are you going to, what are you going to do to take stewardship over this church? How about you, Pastor Saul? Pastor Joe? Respond. Answer me. And so look, what should you feel? You should feel that I cannot do anything. And so there should be this deep despair. And so what can we do? Is surrender to God. And this is the clear uh, evidence of your calling, God's calling. The calling in, of, the, of the priests, of the Levites in Deuteronomy. Look at how... Look at what, this is, what it says, that if you cannot kill your own brother for this calling, then, then, uh, then, then lay it down. Right? 
What does the New Testament say? That anyone who loves their father, their brother, their mother more than me is not worthy of me. And so this is all about calling, this calling. And so you need to have this clear distinction as a servant of God. Then if you cannot receive this, say to God, I can't receive this. I'm not going to be a pastor. Then don't be a pastor. That's okay. I'll receive, I'll receive your resignation. But if not, what should you do? You should say to God, I cannot receive this. And so, Lord God, have mercy on me. Have grace on me. And so look, that's calling. I'm not saying that you can do it. And so for this reason, God gives a higher standard for your calling. And so what can you do? Just say, God, take my life. And so I confess this to God every day. Lord, I cannot do this. How can I serve all your pastors? I cannot even protect one Mona Lisa. Then how can I protect your church which was purchased by your blood? What can I do? I cannot do anything. And so this is a spiritual despair. A spiritual despair that that needs to go up to God. And you need a time for this despair. And if it goes up to God, then you will uh, take stewardship and you will see the glory that it's not me who does it. So verse 9, And I will punish them for their ways and repay them for their deeds. Oh no, uh, like people, like priests. This is so uh, dangerous, right? right. We, are, we don't have the same calling and yet treating the same, that, that is a shame. So, so what must be clear is as a pastor of a church, you, the clear image must be that you are leading your sheep. You need to always be in the front. You need to be leading. And that must be clear. And it must be evident not only to you, but to all. That no one should be here but you. You should be here. Not the associate pastor, not the assistant pastor, but you, the head pastor. And so if the clearest call, if the calling is clear, then that position must be filled by you, that you must be leading the church. This picture must be clear in the community. So if your sheep are at your side, if they are before you, then that is dangerous. You are not driving your sheep from the behind, but you are leading them from the front. I will punish them for their ways and repay them for their deeds. So as I said, because the calling is different, God offers many rewards for the saints, right? But to the priest, there is no reward. Why? Because the reward that you can receive is different, right? 
The reward you receive is this crown and this crown of glory. And who is the crown of glory? The crown of glory is your church. So the reward is different. And so as we serve God, as we serve the souls entrusted to us, they are our reward. And so already, even in the reward is different. And yet here he's saying that I will punish them the same. I will repay them the same. And how this is despair. Moving on to verse 10. They shall eat but not be satisfied. So again, they're uh, too influenced by this uh, fertility cult. So they think that they are prosperous and though they eat, they are not satisfied. And they shall play the whore. And what does this mean? This means that even in their family, their own daughters are offered as prostitutes for the temple. And so as holiness is is toppled, right? what can the priests do? And look at this day in this age. Even though uh, this pastor is a pastor of a large church, his son does what? He owns a bar. And in that bar, you, you, you know what goes on in bars, right? All kinds of, uh, 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 of corrupted sins are happening in those bars. And yet, there's this pastor and he stands before thousands of people every Sunday. So we really need to be careful and, 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 and protect our holiness. And you, brothers, don't think that this will never happen to you. You cannot guarantee that unless you are meeting with God every day, unless you are confirming your calling before God every day, unless you are always before the presence of God, because only God can guarantee that in you. You cannot guarantee it. You may think that, oh, I would never do that, but you, it can happen unless God is holding on to you. And so they shall play the whore, but not multiply. And look, look at how much adultery is happening in this, in this country these days, and yet the population is getting smaller and smaller. Look, though they play the whore, they are not multiplying. Look at our church. Even though our church, we're losing members, yet our church is growing. Why? Because we are giving birth to more and more children. The righteous need to multiply, right? They will multiply because that is their blessing. Continue to give birth to children. The righteous will multiply uh, because they have forsaken the Lord. And so they cast the Lord away. And so look at the spiritual order of what's going on here. Uh, they did not cast God away, but rather they turned away from God. And because they turned away from God, they forsake God. 
So what do we need to do? We need to deny ourselves, right? What is the way of the discipleship? What is the way of the cross? Is to deny yourself every day and pick up your cross and follow after Him, right? So don't love, don't be lovers of the self, but lovers of God. And so it's when we love God that we will carry our cross and follow after Him. If you don't, you will deny the Lord. I thought I preached shortly, but I guess I lied. No, actually, I started late, right? I started late, that's why. So this actually has been short. Anyways, let us pray. So I spoke of much darkness today, but I'm not, but I want you to see glory. That, that the king of all kings has called me. And so throughout Zoe ministry, I've been praying this, that may only servants that you have called gather here. And so uh, because this is my prayer, I believe that he has listened to my prayer and that, that you have, uh, that everyone who is called here are those who have been called by God. And so I believe that you have been called by God. Amen. And so uh, make sure that there is this clear distinction uh, of, of the standard of holiness. And you cannot maintain that yourself, but bow down before God. Humble yourself before God and always meet with God. Because, the, and, and, and so look to the glory that God has prepared for you. He wants to show you, as Paul said, that uh, I have run the race looking to the goal, looking to the goal, that I may receive the prize. And so this amazing glory that God has prepared for you, as Paul said, as Paul saw, you also should see. And so at, at the end, when he, as he confessed, that I have run the race and I have fought the good fight and what waits for me is this crown of glory. And so let us, let us run after the prize. Amen. And so though I cannot do anything of myself, but Lord, you have entrusted this church to me. Why? Because of, because he trusts me, because he has faith in me. And yet, at the same time, we need to confess to God that I cannot do anything. That, Lord, I give up. I cannot do anything. I surrender. And so that's why I need your grace. That, Lord, you have called me to be blameless, but I have, I have so many faults within me. I have so many things to reproach. And yet, Lord, and so, so Lord, I need your grace. I need you to hold on to me. And so like Moses, you said, you know, I see face to face. In the same way, I need that glory. Lord, you have called me. And as servants called by you, Lord, show me face to face. Show me your glory. Let us pray. King of all kings, Lord of all lords, Lord, you are the one who have called us. You have called us, and so we believe that you will take responsibility. You will not regret your calling, 
And so, Lord, in these end times, as your servants uh, raise up your church in these end times, give them all the power and authority to be able to uphold this ministry, that they would enter into a new glory and this amazing glory that you have called them to. Lord, uh, help them to establish that clear, distinct line. And, Lord, we cannot... Um, do this of our, on our own account and so you you have provided all the grace to be poured out upon us and so in this remaining time may that glory continually lead us before you and as we see this glorious calling every day being able to be inspired and, and wondered in, in your um, calling that we would walk this path every day so Lord continue to touch your servants more and more uh, that they would be set free and loosened and be perfected and in Jesus name we pray Amen. Hallelujah. Enjoy your lunch and we'll see you again later tonight.